everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 135 of the John Riley Project. Thanks for joining us. You know, this is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And just really thankful for you joining us. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher, Spotify, you know, thanks for joining us there. And and if you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. And if you, if you could subscribe to the podcast, that'd be terrific. Share it with a friend. You know, we're just trying to build the audience and we really appreciate your support. So, you know, I've been spending in a really, really good mood lately. Um, I think I told you I had like writer's block back earlier in this month and I just had a bunch of thoughts bouncing around in my head and it was a little cloudy up there for a little while and the smoke has cleared and boy, I just have like tremendous clarity right now and it just feels so good. Um, and I just thought this would be a great opportunity to share this podcast. And, you know, it's about school choice. And I just want to share my own story of school choice. And, you know, you hear the comments from our friends on the right and our friends on the left. And this is obviously a hot political topic. Typically, you know, Republicans are for school choice. Typically, Democrats are against school choice and how it's framed and everything. But the the story that I'm going to tell, I think, is going to be a little bit different. And I hope it might open up some eyes to some new ways to think this through. So, you know, we hear those um, cries from people, you know, school vouchers are going to tear down education. Uh, they're going to take money away from public schools. And, and you know, the, there's, there's an element of truth to that, um, just like there is with just about any form of propaganda. Um, but, yeah, I want to just roll the clock back. And I guess it was in 1971 as I was in the first grade and I attended um, a Catholic school. In fact, I went to Catholic school from first to eighth grade. I went to Our Lady of Angels and it's in the city of Burlingame is where I was raised and, um, you know, did the whole Catholic school piece. And, you know, nuns were teachers and, um, uh, you know, we had a uh, a sports program there, which was great. I was on a baseball team in the fifth grade and basketball, and I loved that. Um, and I was even an altar boy for a while, which is something. By the way, nothing bad happened. Everyone behaved very nicely. So no crazy stories there, thank goodness. Um, but, um, you know, I, I didn't come from a wealthy family, not at all. I mean, I someday I'll probably share a podcast a little bit more about my backstory, but this is a little bit of it. And I, I just remember um, prior to going to, it was called OLA, prior to going to OLA, I remember as a little boy, like I was, you know, getting ready to go to first grade. And I remember my mom sat me down and explained to me how I would be going to a Catholic school. And, you know, because in my family's history, you know, Irish Catholics in San Francisco and so many of my cousins and aunts and uncles had gone to Catholic schools in the city and in some cases on the peninsula. But my situation was very different because my father was killed when my mom was pregnant with me. And so I was raised, you know, for a good amount of my childhood by my mother, my grandmother and my aunt. And and under those circumstances, we didn't have money to go to a private school. There was just no way. Um, but because my father, you know, was killed, he, we got a Social Security death benefit. And that was enough to put me through private school. It was kind of it was a nice move, I think, on my mother's part to carry on a family tradition and do it in memory of my father. So my father's death was still benefiting me. It's kind of a neat story to look at it in that frame of mind. And so I ended up going to a Catholic school. And, and you know, we lived, you know, if you've ever been to Burlingame, it's a pretty interesting place because right now it's an extraordinarily wealthy area. But back when I lived there, you know, there was a very wealthy area and a very modest area. And we kind of lived in the low end of the modest area, like a block from the railroad tracks. And, you know, we were not a wealthy family at all. Um, but I went through elementary school, did the Catholic school thing. And then I'm in, you know, the eighth grade and everyone's talking about where they're going to go to high school. And, um, the girls at OLA, Our Lady of Angels, most of them went to Mercy High School, which is an all-girls Catholic school in Burlingame. Um, and then most of the boys, um, in fact, all but just a few of the boys were going to 
if they were going to go to a Catholic school, they went to Sarah High, which uh, Unipro Sarah High, which is in San Mateo. And, and just as an aside, a lot of really famous people have gone to that school. Um, Lynn Swan, the former wide receiver of the Pittsburgh Steelers, went to Sarah High. Um, so did um, uh, um, Tom Brady. <laughs> I forget Tom Brady. In fact, I think Kevin McNamara, when he was here on the podcast, said he went there. Um, and then, you know, the other person that went there was Barry Bonds. And in fact, if I had gone to Sarah High, Barry Bonds would have been my classmate because he and I were in the same grade. So a lot of my friends from OLA actually got to know Barry Bonds because they were in the same classes and, and some other interesting stories that they shared with me. But I really wasn't interested in going to Sarah. I had toyed with the idea of going to Bellarmine, which is a um, another private school. It's down in, I think it was in Santa Clara. You had to take the train to go there. And um, I knew that really wasn't that just wasn't logistically possible. And back then I'm in the eighth grade. I have no idea about money and how it all works. And and probably it may not have been affordable for us as a family because high school would have cost more than elementary, no doubt. And so I made a decision that I wanted to go to a public high school. And that felt good to me because you figure, you know, you go first through eighth grade in Catholic school, you know, maybe I can get four years of public school, kind of have best of both worlds. And and on top of it, I wouldn't have to wear a uniform, which to me was like tremendous freedom because I had been wearing the same darn thing to school um, for just about eight years. And so where I grew up, the two high schools that I could have attended, one was Burlingame High School and the other one was Mills High School. And back then, this is in 1978, um, Mills High School had kind of a better reputation academically. Um, and, you know, I, I most of my friends from OLA that were going to public school, most of them were going, in fact, all of them were going to Mills. And I'd heard, again, it was better academically. And so I said, yeah, I want to go to Mills. And uh, Burlingame High School, my stepbrother, when he lived with us for a few years, he went to Burlingame High. Um, and that there was a little bit of riffraff in that school at the time. I remember this is a sad story, but I remember when I was growing up, um, some teenage boys um, were sniffing was either glue or paint and they killed themselves on campus at Burlingame High. Um, and so I, to me, it was just a little bit creepy. And so I really wanted to go to Mills and I, I lived roughly dead center between those two schools. Um, between Mills High School and Burlingame High School. And um, and so it came time to, you know, figure out how am I going to get into the high school. And so we applied to get into Mills High School and we were denied. Um, and it turned out that, you know, the way the school districts work, that um, they have boundary lines, you know, streets that, you know, contain a certain geography where if you live in that geography, you go to this school. And if you live in that geography, you go to the other school. And I lived one block away from the boundary line. And so they denied that I can go to Mills High School. And they said, you have to go to Burlingame High School. And I was like really bummed. And I was like, oh, I don't want to know anyone there. And, and like I said, I, I just wasn't interested in that school. Um, and my mother, um, you know, she ended up formally applying for the transfer because she originally just did the request and the request was denied. So she went and filled out the paperwork to do the official transfer and she was denied or I was denied. And I was like, wow, this is like really hard. And I was wondering why it was so darn hard. And then finally, my mom, bless her heart, she went again and she appealed the decision and they finally let me in and they said, okay, you can go to Mills High School, but for the first year, you can't play sports. And it's like, okay, I wasn't playing, you know, uh, high school sports anyway. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but it was, it was interesting that because you think about this, usually with the idea of school choice, um, most people are designated for a public school and they talk about wanting to redirect their tax dollars to go to a private school. That's usually how school choice is framed, where I was going in the opposite direction. I was in a private school and I was trying to, to choose a public school and they weren't letting me choose amongst the two of them. And um, it was just it was just hard for me to understand why, because it seemed like an easy thing for them to do. It was all within the same school district. 
You know, so the people that make the decisions, I don't understand why they were being so firm on it. And I mean, you know, I later, as I grew up, I began to learn more about it. But anyways, I ended up getting into Mills High School and that went really well. I'm, I had some great experiences there. And then I went to college and then I um, I got into UC San Diego and um, had a great experience there. And by the way, looking back in time, if I had tried to apply with the grades that I had to get into UCSD then, and if I had tried to apply now with those those same credentials, I don't know if I'd get in. Um, UCSD was really hard to get into that school. Uh, but I, I got in and I had a great experience and got my degree there. And, you know, when I got to school, I w- to college, I was very naive politically. Um, didn't know much about um, politics at all. I know my family um, were Democrats and you figure – we're from San Francisco, right? And, and Burlingame is a suburb. So it makes sense, likely Democrats. Plus, um, my mother was a teamster because she worked for a trucking company in the accounting office. And then my stepfather was a truck driver. So it was kind of that blue collar, pink collar, working class. So definitely aligned more with Democrats. And so when I was there, you know, I, people say, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? I'm like, I, I don't know. I think I'm a Democrat because that's how my – but we never really discussed politics much as a family. But I quickly became, ramped up on a lot of the issues. And the big issue at the time that got me into the political space was the whole idea of the, the abortion issue. And, um, you know, people were talking about a woman has a right to choose. It's her body, her choice. And, you know, that rang true to me. And – you know, maybe they just made a convincing argument because I was, um, you know, a bit naive on politics. But I still it still made sense to me, you know, that a woman should be able to choose over her own body. And so back then, I remember I was a Democrat and I was a registered in the party. I remember I, my first time I voted for president. I voted for Walter Mondale. And then in 88, after I graduated, I voted for Dukakis. Um, and then I left the Democratic Party. That's a whole other story. I should probably have a podcast about my political evolution because it's kind of interesting. At least it's interesting to me. So I don't know if you'd find it interesting. But what, what, what was as I learned more about this whole notion of being pro-choice on abortion, I naturally began to think, well, pro-choice generally makes sense. So how could that apply in other uh, portions of your life? And then I thought about my high school situation and how – we were denied getting into the school that we chose and we had to fight like hell and we eventually got in. I mean, I'm sure a lot of other people would have given up. Um, we were fortunate we got in. Um, and so I began, you know, to embrace this idea that, yeah, you should be able to choose schools. But I was still, you know, a Democrat, a Democrat for school choice, which is kind of odd. And I remember having conversations, you know, when you're in college and you discuss politics and you're kind of growing and maturing. And I would bring up this idea of school choice with other Democrats and they would get angry with me. They like, no, you can't do that. And we, you know, you have to have um, the, the public education money cannot go to religious schools and it has to stay in public schools. And I'm like, okay, but I'm even saying we should have the ability to transfer easily within public schools. And they're like, no, 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 that geography is just for that school and you can't have people choosing. It creates too much chaos. And I was just amazed. And I was thinking, well, we can choose for so many things in life. You know, I can go, I can choose McDonald's or Jack in the Box or Burger King. Um, I can choose Coke or Pepsi or Mountain Dew. Um, I may even, I can choose a college. Now, granted, the college has to choose you too, but still I have, I'm not locked in to only going to the college that's in my neighborhood. I'm not locked into only going to the supermarket that's in my neighborhood. I can, I can choose. Um, so it was just odd to me that there, from some people that claim to be pro-choice, how they were so anti-choice on school. And I I just didn't get it. It just didn't seem right. It was inconsistent. But then I later learned, you know, that this whole school choice issue um, was obviously a big hot button with religious conservatives, right? Because they wanted to, you know, on one hand, they obviously wanted to be able to redirect their tax dollars and have it pay for private schools. So they're not paying tuition and paying taxes to fund public schools. So I get that. 
Now, there was the whole other angle, the the sinister angle that some of my left-wing Democratic friends would say is that they, they thought that the Republicans wanted to destroy public education, and that was their objective. Um, so – but still, when I – when, when the even if the religious people were clinging to the school choice idea, to me it said, well, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you should be able to choose your school, and if the and if the government is going to have education as a higher ideal, if the government is going to fund education, then why not let the parents choose which school to go to? I mean, you wouldn't want to double make them pay double, you know, where they have to pay tuition and pay taxes for public schools. So to me, I mean, I, you know, granted, I. I was raised in a Catholic school, but I'm not really thinking in terms of religion. I'm just thinking, yeah, choice seemed to make sense to me. And so, you know, I get out of college and and I go about my business and I'm learning more um, about the issue and I'm, you know, getting more um, acclimated, a lot of political issues. And I started learning about Milton Friedman and, you know, Milton Friedman, the Nobel uh, winning economist. He's a big free market guy. And um, I just fell in love with him. And he made a number of really strong arguments about school choice. And he said, you know, if we open up the schools to allow entrepreneurs to compete for those tax dollars, we're going to see innovation in schools. We're going to see schools come forward with new ideas, new technologies, new curriculums, new ways to teach that could greatly enhance and get a better outcome. And I thought to myself, yeah, that makes sense because a lot of innovators or entrepreneurs in education are probably going to be hesitant to want to start up a private school because they already know that like 90% of the people are not interested because their tax dollars are already funding the public school. So um, if if the school choice was allowed, it would really kind of shake up the whole model and would really become a fertile ground for entrepreneurs to innovate. And I, to me, that made sense because when I was looking at classrooms, you know, this notion of a teacher in front of 25 or 30 desks, I mean, and a, and a chalkboard or a whiteboard in the front of the classroom, it's been that model for like a hundred years. And like I was thinking, oh, wow, can you imagine if there was more innovation, more technology, more learning by doing? I thought that made sense to me. And then Friedman went on to say that it would force or at least provide an incentive for the public schools to perform at a higher level because they know that there's competition. So if there's a competitive threat, they'd have to – the public schools – would have to up their game and begin to innovate or maybe hire better teachers or have a better curriculum. And I thought, okay, that makes sense to me too, because in the free market, there's competition and, and generally speaking, quality goes up and oftentimes price comes down in a lot of categories. And I thought, okay, that makes sense to me too. And then further, um, you know, people would say, well, yeah, but if you had school choice, imagine if you had a terrible school and all the students left you know, let's not all. Let's just say 60% of the students left, 40% of them are stuck in a bad school and there's less money and then they're screwed. And I'm thinking, well, okay, that, that probably would happen. And, but I think, well, I don't think Friedman had said that what would probably end up happening is that, yes, yeah, some public schools would close. They would shut down because they were unable to compete. They would sort of like go out of business. Um, but the school itself would still exist, the physical building, the government owns the land. And so a new management team, a new principal, new teachers, new ideas would come into that school. And there's an opportunity to have sort of a phoenix rise from the ashes, that a new and better school could rise up where the previous school had failed. Hey, I th that's sort of a magical idea, but it, that also made sense to me because the building itself wouldn't go away and there would still be students in that geography that need to be served. So it, it's a disruptive model, no doubt, having school choice, but it sounded to me like it would sort of kick uh, uh, you know, the public education administrators, would kick them in the ass and, and really get them to up their game and at the same time give families, give students a lot more opportunity. So that really um, 
that really rang true to me. And so I became more interested in this idea of school choice as I'm, you know, getting older and, and kind of, you know, be becoming a, a more mature adult. And but then I started learning more about it's interesting how, again, how anti-choice so many of my progressive friends were on this issue. And I couldn't really figure out why. And then the more I learned, the more I kind of realized that it seemed to me that the opposition to school choice was more about protecting the institution of public education. It was something, you know, they, they believed in public education. It was a very high moral ideal to them. It was Forgive me for saying it, but it was almost like a religion. That's how strongly they believed in public education. It's kind of the irony of it, I guess, uh, that it is like a religion. But it it's true. You know, I mean, that's generally people that um, support public schools really support it for all of these reasons of, you know, we have to educate society and everyone deserves an education. And, and you know, I, I understand that argument. But it's it seemed to me that was a very you know strong driving reason uh, that people supported it. But still, I kept thinking, well, the Democrats generally like to say that they're supportive of the little guy, right? You know, the, the, the Republicans are for all the rich people, but the Democrats, we support the ordinary person, the little guy. We'll be there for the little guy. And I'm thinking, well, if the little guy wants to switch schools, why are you denying him that choice? especially if you claim to be pro-choice. Um, now, granted, when, when you make that argument, our Democratic friends will usually say, well, I'm pro-choice on, on the abortion issue, but not on everything, of course. You know? So eventually I began to learn that Democrats generally very authoritarian on a lot of issues, and this is just one of them. Um, but then I learned more about it, and, and then I began to understand that it, while our progressive friends were supportive of public education as this high moral ideal. It was almost, well, not almost, it was definitely true that for many people, it was about protecting the establishment of public education as well. You know, all those jobs. And, you know, there is always great sympathy to public education, uh, or actually to teachers in general, particularly public school teachers. Um, you know, Many people think of those teachers as almost like angels, you know, that they're doing, again, the crazy analogy, like they're doing God's work in a secular institution. But they are doing um, – there. there's nothing purer, you know, nothing more benevolent to society than educating children. And teachers need to be paid more. And, and I agree. Teachers should be paid more, particularly the good ones. Um, but there was definitely this idea that that there there was a need to protect the establishment and the people that worked in that establishment, um, and that all I became cynical when I started to pick up on that vibe. It's like, hmm, okay, well, may they claim it's this high moral ideal, and perhaps that is true, but it's also about you know this notion of protecting those jobs. Um, because they'd say if you if you go with vouchers, you're taking away money from public schools, and that's true. I mean, and frankly, taking away money from public schools ultimately the parent would be choosing where the tax dollars would go. So it's really the parent making the choice of what's in their best interest, what's in their child's best interest. But he, and yeah, that would definitely raise revenues or uh, spending with in some cases, private schools, and would decrease public schools. But even if you decrease the amount of money going to public schools, there would be less students to teach. You know, they talk about often measuring educational funding in terms of money per student per year. Well, if there are less students, then obviously they should be less money. Um, so taking away money from public schools, okay. But remember I said earlier that School vouchers to me isn't just about private school uh, get private schools getting public school money. To me, it's about letting a parent choose of any school, including transferring from a public school to another public school, like what I tried to do 
and yet I was denied and we had to fight like hell and we eventually were able to break through. So to me, I, I thought, yeah, this idea of vouchers, it's, it's more than just a religious thing. It's even more than just a private school thing. It's really, to me, about just simply giving them the ability to choose, even if it's choosing a different public school, because there are a lot of times where it makes sense for a person to go to a different public school. Maybe, um, you know, maybe their parents or other people that are going to give them rides. It works out more conveniently for them. And there's a whole laundry list of reasons why a person may choose a different public school. In fact, like I did for high school, certain public schools are better than others. Why not let people have that choice? So um, it's interesting. And then people then will get angry at charter schools. Now, Charter schools, the way that I understand them is that they are still government – they're normally government schools. I guess in some cases they're private. But it's almost like they have more independent leadership. And there's a lot of criticism to charter schools and, and especially from people in the educational establishment because they're a competitive threat. Um, and people will say charter schools are you know, – they'll point to some of the bad apples – about how they're wasting money and it's they're embezzling money and all these nasty things. And then I'm thinking, well, geez, I live here in Poway, our Poway Unified School District. We had a superintendent that was embezzling money, taking money that should have been used for educating children, and he was pocketing the cash. Um, and then they also, you know, push this billion dollar bond on our community, essentially borrowed roughly $100 million and are paying it back with $1 billion. I'm thinking, well, even in public schools, there's all kinds of financial malfeasance and corruption and embezzlement. It happens there, too. But the critics of charter schools would always select a few of those bad apples and point to them and kind of try to make them representative of the whole group of charter schools. Other people would criticize charter schools and they say, well, they're just really no better. I mean, they've done the, they've run the data. They've looked at the data and charter schools and uh, public schools, um, there's really no difference in terms of their performance. But I thought, well, even if that's true, that's still only true overall. In some communities, the charter school is going to be head and shoulders above the public school. And in other communities, the public school is going to be head and shoulders above the charter school. It's going to vary depending on the community. So why not let the parents choose um, so they can choose the school that is the best fit for them? And, you know, we talked a little bit about this on a uh, more recent podcast. We talked about distance learning because that's what's going on right now with this whole COVID-19. And one of our um, guests who, geez, I, I talked about her in the last podcast and she's been a guest twice. Um, Gabby Dow was on and, you know, Gabby and her husband, Steve, they have two children and one of them goes to a public high school and the other one I is think is still in middle school and goes to a charter school. And when the whole COVID-19 thing happened um, and there was shelter in place and the students had to come home. The student, the, the Dow child that was going to the charter school, well, they were already spun up on distance learning. They had curriculum. They were organized. They were innovative. The charter school had it all set up. And their younger child in middle school was just didn't miss a beat and was rolling and was learning. And it was very good. The, their child that went to the public school. Um, the the public school was completely disorganized, not ready for distance learning, and it took them a long time to get going. And then once they got going, it was a bumpy road. And so, again, it proves that results vary depending on the community. In some cases, charter schools are going to be better. In other cases, they're not. So why not let the parent choose? Because they're going to make the choice that's in their child's best interest, in their family's best interest. And after all, it's their tax dollars that they're paying. So, um, and then, yeah, some of these charter schools, they do personalized learning and, and um, heck, there was a charter school here in uh, San Diego, Spring Charter Schools. They actually offered their online curriculum during this COVID crisis for free for anyone that wanted to sign up for it. So a lot of innovation, a lot of really interesting things happening with charter schools, but yet the educational establishment was very against it because they don't, they're trying to protect their revenue stream. So, you know, then people will say, well, yeah, if you gave vouchers um, to, to the 
to, stu- to families to go to private schools, well, private schools are really expensive. I mean, they're like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year. You know, so if you gave a voucher, you know, a poor kid is still not going to be able to make up the difference to go to one of these expensive private schools. Well, yeah, there sure there are some of those. I mean, we all see those where rich kids go and they're like college prep and they're boarding schools and those kinds of private schools exist. But I looked up um, the local uh, private K through eight school here in my community in Poway and it's St. Michael's and it's like probably a mile and a half from my house. I mean, it's really close. And if you go on their website, you can see their tuition and I'll just use some rough numbers so we don't get too caught up in the minutia, but the tuition for a student is $7,000 a year. And, um, and you still have to pay a $500 registration fee and then you got to pay a hundred dollars a year for building maintenance which is interesting because just recently the Poway Unify was trying to put forward a, a huge bond measure for almost $500 billion to fund school maintenance. Well, here the families actually pay for it and they pay as they go and they're organized rather than, you know, taxing the whole community. Um, and then the, the, the families also have to spend an extra hundred dollars a month, or excuse me, a hundred dollars in total, pardon me, hundred dollars in total for a technology fee. And so um, and which, by the way, the Poway Unified's Measure B was supposed to fund some technology, too. Um, so they've been able to do it where it's $7,700 per year per student. And if you are a member of the parish, so and it presumes probably that you donate money to the church, like they often have collections on Sundays, well, then they give a discount of $700. So it's like 7000 bucks a year for this student to go to this school. And if you have multiple children, they actually have package deals. It's, you know, if one student is seven grand, two students isn't 14, it's actually less. Um, So you think, okay, so seven grand, well, how much are our public schools? Um, How much are they being funded? Well, Poway Unified, where we live, has a annual revenue of about $400 million a year, you know, plus or minus a couple of million. Um, now, that's, uh, by the way, as an aside, that's before COVID. Now, with this whole COVID thing, the dollars are going to be a lot less because um, they're going to have big educational cuts, which that's actually a whole other podcast. Um, but $400 million a year to Poway Unified, there's three thirty six thousand five hundred nineteen students. So if you do the math, that's 10,953 students per year. So that's like roughly $11,000 per student per year. The private school, St. Michael's, right down the street here, is only $7,000 a year. It's $4,000 a year less. I mean, it's almost like a third less in price. And, okay, now, the, the public schools have to take on disabled children, children with special needs, children where English is a second language, and there's obviously inflated costs for that. And that accounts for, you know, part of the delta, but still, the point is, is that a lot of these private schools are cheaper than public schools. And they're, they're not these, um, you know, sort of boarding schools for rich kids and cost 30 grand a year. There are private schools that are less. So a, if there was a voucher system, not only could a private school be affordable now for a, a poor family, but taxpayers would end up saving money. Um, as a result of it, which is also a win. Um, so it, it's interesting. And then, by the way, Poway Unified, $11,000 per student per year. Um, if you do the math, just revenue divided by number of students, I, I'm sure we'll get some educational administrators who'll say that it's actually less than that. And maybe there, maybe it is less if you do the math differently. But I'm just taking the top line revenue divided by the number of students. But that still doesn't include the billion-dollar bond and all the other bond measures that we're still paying for. And so if you add all that in, then the cost to educate a student is way more than $11,000. And yet the tuition at the private school is $7,700 or only seven grand if you're a member of the parish. So to me, that was very interesting. And then on top of it, there are a lot of private schools that are free. I mean, Khan Academy is free. And, and granted, you might say that's not really a school, but 
it's an online digital courses. They walk you through problem solving. So online education to me is a game changer. It can provide more personalized um, learning opportunities instead of a teacher in front of 30 kids in a classroom. Online education provides um, personalized learning. It also gives students access to the best teachers and the best curriculum rather than, you know, because you go to a school and let's say you're in high school and you're, you're taking trigonometry and there might be two or three trig teachers. There's probably one good one one that kind of stinks and then one is, you know, you know, average. Um, so it's a crapshoot which one they're going to get. In a digital um, online distance learning model, you have access to the best teacher, the best curriculum. I think that's great. Um, so online education to me is a game changer because we there is a potential for higher quality education and also to do it at a lower price. Um, which then would help greatly solve a lot of this school funding crisis. But online education is going to be resisted by the establishment because it's a threat. It's a competitive threat to the teachers unions and to a lot of the other, um, you know, kind of you, you follow the money, right? So the, the other organizations that, you know, they make a living off of the school system, online education is a threat to that, whether you're in the construction of new buildings or you're into, you know, school maintenance or all the support services that are available in school, online education is a threat. Now, obviously, you can't have online education for first graders, um, but for first graders, some online education might be a nice supplement in some cases. And as students get older, that that ratio of in-classroom learning and online learning could change. So, but what I'm getting at mostly is that when people say that private schools are more expensive and if you give vouchers, it still makes it unaffordable, unattainable for poor children to go. Because if you got a $7,000, $8,000 voucher and it costs thirty grand to get in, the poor kid isn't going to be able to come up with $22,000 to make up the difference. That's often used as an argument against it. But in fact, there are many options that are far less expensive than the government-run public schools. So, um, and then the other interesting angle is, is that if you look at, I'm going to call out a specific federal government program, it's wildly successful, wildly supported, widely and wildly supported by people on the left and on the right, by Republicans and Democrats and, and independents love this policy. Everyone seems to love this policy. It's the GI Bill. The GI Bill is what allows you, you, know, you go into the military and I think you serve as either for four years or eight years. I don't remember the rule. And then you can go to a college and it's paid for as a benefit uh, for being in the military. And, and it's hard to find someone that doesn't support that program. The GI Bill is a voucher program. It's not like the, the you know, the the person from the army, they get out of the army. Now they want to go to school. It's not like they're forced to go to the college in their neighborhood or even the college in their county or even the college in their state. They can go to any college, you know, provided, of course, that they can get accepted to that college. So the GI Bill really is a voucher program that's, that's greatly admired. People love it, but yet there's resistance to vouchers at the K through 12 level. And then people say, well, you can't compare that. It's elementary school and, and college, and they're just different. Well, yeah, they're different. But if vouchers are a bad thing, then why is, it, why is, it, why is the GI Bill not just allowed, but why is it beloved? <laughs> you know, so it's an interesting angle to it. Now, here's another part of my story on this. I've, I've made kind of the case here for vouchers, and I think I want to tell you this part of my story. So in 2014... I was a candidate for school board for Poway Unified, and I lost, which still bums me out. Um, there were eight of us that ran. Uh, the top three won. I came in fourth. I was like the bridesmaid, and um, I lost by just 1%. It still bugs me. But some of my friends, they joke with me. They say I dodged a bullet, and, and I probably did because it's, you know, being on the school board is tough, and it's hard to come out of that feeling like a winner because everyone – you know, hates you for some reason or another. Um, but at any rate, um, I ran in 2014 
and I had my my campaign platform was the four point plan. And one of those points was to empower parents. And I had school choice on my plan. Now, I knew that I couldn't implement a school choice plan that would allow people to go to public schools. But I simply had part of my plan to make it easier for people to transfer to different schools within the district. Because that was exactly what I experienced when I tried to go from eighth grade into high school. I wanted to go to Mills High School in Millbrae, California, but I was in the Burlingame High School um, geography, just one block from the from the borderline, and they resisted me. We had to appeal, and they resisted, and, and, and eventually we got we got in, or I got in. But to, that still sticks with me, you know. And 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 I thought, well, if I'm going to run for school board, I should make this part of the platform. And it was interesting because I when I was when I talked about it, I said, well, yeah, because at the high schools that are in our school district, they all have different specializations. Like Westview, there's, there's, is there, there's six high schools in Poway Unified. One of them, Westview High School, has an ROTC program. So if you want to go into ROTC, you can choose that school. And just about everybody has, thinks that's fine. That, yeah, if you want to go to Westview because they have ROTC, great, because they have it. And then Poway High has like a 4-H program. And and then on the elementary school level, um, Valley Elementary in Poway has a dual language bilingual immersion, English-Spanish. And um, actually, the Dow family, they sent their children there. They loved it. And a lot of other people really like that bilingual ability. And to me, that made sense. Like, imagine... You know, Poway Unified had 39 schools. They still have 39 schools. Imagine 39 laboratories of innovation, 39 schools that had little degrees of specialization that parents could choose the school that was the best fit for their child. And going through that process, we would learn. We would learn that maybe this school did things differently but got a better result. Those learnings could lift up all 39 schools, sort of benchmarking and best practices, um, giving those schools the freedom to specialize benefits the family and the student, but it also benefits the district as a whole because you have all these test cases, all this evidence of these uniquely specialized schools um, and seeing how they perform. And so to me, that really, that that to me made sense. And And so on my campaign literature, I said school choice for transferring within the public school system only. And I put that in there partly because I said that was my background and that was what I experienced. On the other hand, I kind of put it in, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that I put it in there almost as code language for people that would know that I'm a very liberty-minded person. But there was also a risk in doing that. And I did I did feel backlash from from it because obviously there were progressives and they see school choice and immediately ping, the radar goes up and they say that, you know, what do you mean here? School choice? What do you want public school money to go to private schools? And I'm like, no, no, no. I just want to give parents the ability to transfer more easily. And they're like, I don't think that's a good idea, you know, and they would still challenge it. It was surprising. So I lost by 1%. I wonder if school choice was the reason. Um, or maybe I would have lost by more had I not had that on my platform. I'll never know. Um, but it, it's just, it's interesting. Um, and, you know, when I was on the campaign trail, I, I met so many wonderful people. Was, even though I lost that election, it was still a rewarding experience for me. And and I learned a lot and met great people, had an opportunity to share my positions. And I listened to the stories of some of these parents and I'll tell you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they had stories to tell of the challenges with their children and the school district didn't treat them right, or maybe the school district or certain teachers treated them really well and they had great stories. But there were a number of parents that when they found out that I was for this, they gravitated to me and they said, oh yeah, you know, we wanted to transfer our child from this school to that school, but we couldn't do it. They wouldn't let us do it. And they had room, but they wouldn't let us in. And there was some frustration from parents and parents had like these legitimate reasons for wanting to pursue it. Now for them, a lot of times it was logistical because they um, were either closer to a school 
but were somehow zoned for another. Um, or in some cases, it was because of family or car rides kind of worked out, um, but they could they were denied. Um, so it was just it was just a remarkable experience. So. Now we're in this whole COVID situation, and now there's been a lot more of an embrace of homeschooling because now parents being home with their child, they've been helping their children with some of this distance learning. Um, and now there's even some discussion. I, I see this on online where proponents of homeschooling, which generally are pretty religious people, they're thinking that COVID is sort of empowering their cause. And I'm curious to see how this plays out um, here locally. But- it's interesting. You hear the rhetoric from our national leaders and the one that is probably most closely linked to school choice is Betsy DeVos. And boy, she gets a lot of heat. Um, and she, she is a person, I mean, she's extraordinarily wealthy. Um, and her, um, uh, has always been a proponent for school choice. And that's a big reason why Donald Trump selected her on his cabinet. And what's interesting is, is so many people have changed hands on Trump's cabinet. You know, how many different um, secretary of states have we had and that sort of thing. But DeVos has been there the whole time. Um, But I've always I've never really liked DeVos because. There have been a lot of things that she's done or said that are just nonsense. So they're just crazy. And I'm I'm an advocate of school choice, but I'm not an advocate of Betsy DeVos. So I've always been kind of resistant to, you know, talk about her. Um, but President Trump says he's for school choice, too. Now, a lot of times that's rhetoric on the campaign trail because really – Education is a local matter. It's a state and local, often a highly local matter. Like here for Poway Unified, there are four zip codes that our school district covers. What is it? 92064 Poway, 92127 and 128, which is Rancho Bernardo and Forest Ranch and Westwood and Carmel Mountain Ranch. And then 92129, which is like Saber Springs and uh, Rancho Penasquitos. Um, so, yeah, so education is very, very local. So really a president of the United States cannot decree that we're going to have school choice. Neither can a secretary of education. I mean, they could encourage it from the pulpit, the bully pulpit. They can encourage it with their leadership, but they cannot decree that there's going to be school choice. Um, so Trump says he's for it, but granted, Trump says he's for all sorts of things, but he's really not for them. He just says it on the campaign trail to try to get attention and to attract voters. And of course, Trump depends on the religious right being a big supporter of him, which to me is mind blowing that the religious right supports President Trump because, well, I mean, that's a whole other story. But you know, he is not an angel <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the other. The other guy that um, supports school choice is Andrew Yang. And I told you during the, the campaign season when, you know, the, when the Democrat primary was still very active, I liked Andrew Yang. Now, I wasn't a supporter of his universal basic income proposal, but he had a lot of issues on his issues page on his website that really I liked. And he was brave and innovative. And he would say, he would say, there are good public schools and bad public schools. There are good charter schools and bad charter schools. There are good private schools and bad private schools. And he said, I'm just interested in good schools. And, you know, Cory Booker said the same thing. Now, he, and he has since kind of walked back from that when he was running for president because Democrats don't want to support school choice. But Yang still stuck to his guns. Now, he wouldn't say, I want vouchers, and I. he didn't go that full distance. But he basically said he supports good schools, regardless if it's public or private or charter or whatever. And to me, I love that. So, you know, my hope from all of this, I mean, if I could wave a magic wand, I would love to see school choice for all the reasons that I've explained. Um, I think... There's, you know, our educational system needs a kick in the ass. And we've been doing things generally the same way for a long time. And what's that Albert Einstein quote? Uh, if you do the same thing over and over again, expect different results. That's the definition of insanity. 
other nations are are well past us in education. They're getting far better results than we are in educating their children. But the educational establishment in America, which is government and um, unions and teachers unions, there is a desire to maintain the status quo, to protect the fiefdom and to be in many cases, sort of resistant to change. Um, now, granted, of course, there is some change. I understand it. Like there was Common Core, and you know, and some of the changes is, is for the for the worse. I think Common Core is not a good policy, and in fact, I think we're seeing that reeled back. But still, there is a resistance to opening up the marketplace, freeing up the marketplace, bringing more entrepreneurs, new ideas, new innovations to really radically transform education so we can see it increase. And then we'll also see the areas where it declines and then we can, parents won't choose those, you know, or, you know, there will be an educational process where people learn about which schools are good and which ones aren't. And the schools that do really well are going to attract more students. They're going to attract more money. And then the schools that perform poorly, they're going to say, hey, that school's doing really well. Maybe we should follow their their lead and adopt some of their policies. So, again, it brings everything up. Um, and I think as taxpayers, we have an opportunity to get way more bang for our buck. We have an opportunity to definitely get a better educational outcome and possibly get it at a lower price. Imagine that. I mean, right now, school districts are scrambling for money. Um, even before the COVID crisis, I mean, Poway Unified has been in a structural deficit for, you know, four or five years. And um, the, these, and, 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 and once, once um, the, the new budget comes out, Gavin Newsom's already said they're going to be big cuts in education. I don't know how in the heck Poway Unified is going to balance their books. I just saw that um, Coronado Unified School District is taking out a big loan. Because they've been overspending, they've been in deficit spending, and now, you know, they had their surplus wiped out or their, their reserves wiped out, and they have to borrow money. Poway Unified may have having to do that as well, but school choice could potentially be a better value for taxpayers. We can maybe spend less and get a better result, or at very minimum, spend the same and get a better result. And then I think it's important that. There are children, I should have mentioned this earlier on the podcast, but there are children that are literally trapped in poor communities that have weak public schools. And they don't have the resources to go to a private school. They can't go to another public school because maybe the district won't allow them to go. Um, but they are denied. Um, they are denied being able to go to a better school. In fact, in Chicago... There are many um, leaders in the black community that are clamoring for school choice because their children have terrible schools and, and they see private schools in their community that are doing really well. They typically tend to be the religious schools, but they often say, I wish I could send my child to that school, not because it's religious, but because they have a better quality of education. Now, obviously, results vary. In some communities, public schools are going to be very good. Poway Unified, generally speaking, the education quality here is really good compared to a lot of other public schools. Um, but in other communities, the public schools are really bad for any number of reasons. Um, maybe it's not support from the parents. Maybe it's rookie teachers or poor quality teachers. Maybe it's lack of funding. Could be, it could be the the culture of the school where it's not conducive to a learning environment. There are a lot of distractions. Maybe there's violence. Maybe there's competitive pressures that are going on in the student body that take people off the, their eye off the ball in education. If you're in those communities, you may be stuck. You may be screwed. And then imagine a parent that wants what's best for their child. Their only choice is to send them to the public school. They end up running with the wrong crowd. And the next thing you know, you know, they, they turn into, you know, not a high aspiring individual. Um, they may take the uh, a road to the dark side. That's a shame. And those, pa those families, those poor families in weak school districts are trapped and vouchers would give them an escape hatch. And I think that's important. So, you know, this podcast is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so it seems to me, that if you are going to pursue your happiness, 
which is really pursuing your long-term self-interest, you know, having self-esteem, which we talked about in the last podcast. But if you are going to pursue your own happiness, well, you should be able to have the choice to, per, to take whichever pathway you want that's going to get you to your destination of happiness or that's going to be able to fuel you on that path as you pursue your happiness. So if, if you are essentially, if you own you, if, if, if you believe in, again, the life part of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you should be able to manage your life. And that means you should be able to choose the school you go to. So it, it's, it strikes me that if we are going to, as a society, agree that public schools should be government-run, taxpayer-funded, which we can maybe make an argument that they shouldn't be, but for the sake of discussion, if we assume that we, ha- we must have public schooling, then why not let parents choose the best school for their child? That's what my mom wanted to do for me. And I didn't even go. I, I was going trying to go from a private school to a public school <laughs> rather than the other direction. Um, and I was denied. I wasn't able to choose until we fought like hell. And, and thank goodness we were able to break through. Um, so why stand in the way? of a parent that wants what's best for their child. If we support education, why stand in the way of a parent getting the best quality education for their child? So to me, school choice, school vouchers, I mean, to me, it's just a no-brainer. It's pro-choice. It's liberty. It's doing what's in the best interest of the parent and the child. I invite you to share your thoughts and ideas on this on Facebook and on Twitter. I post all my episodes there. And so I, I would love to hear your feedback. And I know people have strong opinions on this from both sides. There are people that really, really, really love vouchers and want them badly. And there are other people that think that vouchers are going to destroy public education. And they feel passionately on the issue. I support pub, uh, vouchers, but kind of for different reasons than I think my friends on the religious right would support vouchers. Uh, And I hope I've made that case in this podcast. So again, I I, I hope if you have a chance, visit me on John Riley Project on my Facebook page um, or even on Twitter, John Riley Poway is my handle and we can continue the conversation. Um, I do want to just one more time to say, hey, if you want to, again, be part of the the whole John Riley Project experience. Join me on my mailing list. Go to johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe. Or you can look in the menu at the top of the webpage, johnreillyproject.com. And, and there you can actually see all the social media platforms I'm on. You can connect with me there or you can sign up on our mailing list. And we send out newsletters about once a month, once every two months. And we'll let you know a little bit more about what we're working on, on the podcast, what's happening behind the curtain. And I've Lately, I was telling one of my buddies um, who I think will be watching this podcast, I've got all of these amazing new ideas. And a lot of it is the result of this, what I talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, where I had a certain amount of noise in my head, a little bit of confusion, and the smoke cleared because I figured some things out personally. And I'm going to be rolling out a lot more of that. And, and I'm really looking forward to it. But I'll be sharing some of that if you join me on our mailing list, johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe. And so I want to finish this podcast. And um, yeah, we're right about an hour. Um, and this is from our good buddy, Milton Friedman, Dr. Friedman, um, the author of Free to Choose. And boy, he did a, a television series on a whole bunch of free market, liberty-oriented topics. I, I thought he was fascinating. Milton Friedman, rest in peace. And, and here is a quote that he offered. And this is a whole different perspective to the discussion of school vouchers. He says, given greater freedom about where to send their children, parents of a kind would flock together and so prevent a healthy intermingling of children from decidedly different backgrounds. So that's, to me, that's interesting because at a public school, the students that attend that public school are from that neighborhood. They tend to be birds of a feather flocking together. So the demographic profile of a specific school is usually pretty, roughly speaking, pretty consistent. 
um, across the board. But if we had school vouchers, school choice, we would see a lot more intermingling, a lot more diversity in schools, which after all, for many people, that is a huge goal in education um, to introduce people of different cultures and ethnicities and religions and have them intermingled. Now, well, you know, we, we went through the whole school busing thing back in the was that in the 70s or the 60s? Um, and I'm not advocating for that. But if you give people the, ob- the ability to choose, there is going to be that natural intermingling. And it's all done freely without coercion. To me, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful outcome because families will have exposure to the way other people live. And students will learn from one another how other people live you know, in, in all directions. So that's yet another argument to support school choice. So um, this is John Riley, uh, the John Riley Project. This is my school choice story and what I went through, what I learned, um, how I evolved. Um, and really, it was one of the seminal political issues of my life that influenced me greatly. And it's largely why I'm a very liberty-oriented person today as an adult. But thanks for joining me on this. Thanks for listening. And, and, and um, we'll come back to you real soon. So this is episode number 135. Thank you, friends. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. <music>